Like, I'm mixed race. I'm a single woman in ag. But you know who's helped me? Mostly white farmers. And most of them voted for Trump. This is the Real Food, Real People podcast. Food and growing food can cross so many divides. All those things that are supposed to divide us, that they tell us that are supposed to drive a wedge between people, you know, whether it's urban and rural or politics, racial differences, farming crosses all of those boundaries. This week, we talk with Michaela Wright. She shares her story of walking away from a lucrative career and working with some of the top names in entertainment and beyond incredibly accomplished person who was not happy and was not well even though she was doing all the things that we're told by the fads and trends right now are what you're supposed to do to be healthy and she came back to health and farming and relearned everything, getting back in touch with her roots. She's one of the most passionate people we've had. And and if you've followed this podcast for a while, you know that's saying a lot because there's a lot of passionate people. She's one of the most passionate people we've ever had on the podcast. And you are going to enjoy this conversation. We cover a lot of territory this week. This is the Real Food, Real People podcast. I'm Dylan Honkoop. I grew up on a farm uh, in Western Washington, spent some time in media doing the whole like radio thing, and now I am back in the farming community and looking to share the real stories of the people behind our food and connected to our food system to reconnect all of us with where our food really comes from. I was down in Snohomish, Washington for this conversation, talking with Michaela Wright. Knowing oneself, well, I think that goes to lots of learning to be present in a moment and to yeah. listen to more, you know, kind of what you're, I call it soul speak. It's always that intuition, that gut feeling. And when you follow that, usually you're on the right path compared to making choices based off of what you think family members or society or culture will tell you. Yeah. Because most people would think I'm nuts for learning to farm finding a ranch, getting horses, and starting to be a single female woman in ag. So so why do you say that? Have people <laughs> given you that kind of blowback? People back? don't quite get it. They don't know. It's like, well, why would you give up a city life? And you did so much when you worked in entertainment and music and fashion, and that's just, you had a dream life that everybody wanted. I'm like, yeah, yeah. And I was dying in it. I hated it. Because I got into it because that's what others kind of led me to believe that I should be in. Mm -hmm. When originally, when I was, you know, a teenager doing 4-H, being on my grandmother's farm, I was happy doing farm work and working with horses and assisting with livestock. And, I, you know, I'm, I've been making the joke lately. I'm like, I've just come full circle because I stopped listening to others and I started listening to myself. When did that start? What was the turning point for you? So... It's been an evolution over a period of years. It started when I was 33, living in Los Angeles, and there was just one day I'm like, I can't live here anymore. And three days later, I'd come up to a conference, a tech conference here in Seattle, and it was September, so it was still nice. I hadn't, it wasn't the blackness, but it was green, and there was water, and it just, the air was clean. And I was like, what, what is this? <laughs> and compared to Los Angeles, which is just very hot and yeah. very, very busy, I'm like, I think I'm going to give this a try. So I went home and I was at the end of my lease of my apartment and I literally packed and moved up here. <laughs> 
on a whim and moved to Woodenville and uh, and um, just kind of learned to explore the outdoors and nature. You yeah. know, went back to California because of the work I did. But then it was then, you know, because like my if you read my my blog, I talk about my love and the evolution of food and understanding mm-hmm. food and nutrition like ad nauseum. But when I was in California, you know, I, I was just telling um, Victoria, who I work with on the horses, that we, you know, writing about food and learning a lot about health and wellness, because, I mean, that's just kind of ingrained in Los Angeles, everything on the West Coast. But I was like, there's something wrong here. Like, why are people kind of like starving themselves and depriving themselves? So I'm like, I want to learn more about food and nutrition. I started volunteering and apprenticing on various ranches um, in Northern California. And, you know, the first thing I learned was how to castrate a goat. <laughs> hey, look, I would go wherever someone would take me. Um, and and then it moved into raising and butchering hogs, which love that. Um, and just, you know, like when I started, like my exploration of food, I, I'm like, oh, I'm going to learn how, you know, food, um, you know, what our bodies really need to be healthy. Mm-hmm. And that just kind of segued into learning to raise livestock and soil health and like literally the beginning of it. I'm like, this isn't exactly what I thought, but that's where it started. So over three years, a lot of apprenticing, a lot of learning, and it it was across the board. Some of it was organic. Some of it was more regenerative. Some of it was just more, you know, traditional, you know, commercial style farming, Mm -hmm. but I didn't go in with any biases or preconceived notions. I just wanted to learn from those that would share with me. And that just, I, I, I think I, you know, I've talked before. It's like every time you learn something about a piece of production, you change your mind or you expand your view. Cause you're like, there really is no one way to do this correctly. Um, some people are no till, some people are till, some people are organic, some people are not. But I think there's a case for everything and it's dependent on a variety of factors. Location, size of the ranch, the ability of the ranch owner even. You know, one of the places that I spent the longest time learning and I learned the most, like they were both 65 and they had 50 animals on eight, you know, and they had eight acres. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like I said, that, that's where I learned to castrate goats. That's where I learned about raising hogs. I, you know, their orchard was falling apart. And then that's where I went into soil, learning about soil health so that I could help bring back their trees, which we did it. And, but it took years. It didn't, it wasn't something that was overnight. And oh. I fell in love with learning about it. And, you know, at the time I was still doing my main business for marketing and I was doing, you know, the, the music, the corporate, everything that I just, that came our way. And, um, it was about two years ago. I'm like, I can't work for people that are in other industries other than food, agriculture, mm. and certain aspects of health, because it just doesn't align to what I believe in and what I understand. So we let go of 60% of our business. I mean, you're talking hundreds of thousands of dollars. I just said, forget it. I don't want it. And we we started over, <laughs> essentially, because yeah. we let go of all the money, but it wasn't about that. And I, was, and I, I didn't regret it. That was, again, like being more true to myself, because like I said, it was just stop listening to others about what you should have or who you you should have as clients or anything else. I was like, well, I'm going to start with learning what I value, what's important to me. And it was, it was this love affair that came into learning how our food is grown and raised. And then like just this, this life that I had been taken away from when I was eight because my mother wanted to be in a city. So Um, that's where it came to. So I took, I love what I do. I love my work. I love my skills. I just now do it for people that no matter how they do it, 
I do my best to understand their businesses, their needs, their challenges, and provide value to help them create solutions that work for them in the ways that they do things. So you're saying that your journey didn't start out being aimed toward farming. At first, it no, was just about it was health. About, like, yeah, health, like nutrition of food. I, I was just, you know, like I was vegan for eight years. And I pretty much juiced half my meals. Mm -hmm. I, literally, I, I was basically starving myself. Like I've written about this very candidly because in Los Angeles, it's all about being rich, pretty, and skinny. So I lived off about 1,600 calories, half of which were liquid, and I ate a raw diet. I was miserable, and I was actually very sick. So when I started learning about like how meat is produced and when you can do it in a way that is ethical and very not detrimental to the animals because that's really that what that's what they you know that's what's promoted by PETA right. in certain groups and it and it's even we won't go there quite yet yeah. if you want to but um you know the day I ate goat and pork that we had raised I was like can I just have more and put some peas in it and I literally ate goat meat and pork and peas for six weeks straight but I felt I was like coherent and I wasn't hungry and I I just, yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was, I started with un needing to understand what my body needed to be better and mm. at its best. And that it just was a, something that just evolved. It wasn't a target. And it just, when I realized it, I, I make, like I was telling you, um, I make a joke now. Where I'm like, wow, let's see. Well, when I was young and on my grandparents' farm, all I wanted to do was ride horses, write stories, and take pictures because they had me in 4-H doing like photography yeah. and stuff. Yeah. And I'm like, look at where I ended up. And I, it only took 20-something years to get back there. So it was just kind of this evolution. And, you know, I love what I've learned from other experiences in the past. But at this point, to me, life isn't worth not doing something you love and aligned to your values. Who's our friend back here, by the way? Oh, she this... looks like she's trying to <laughs> This is Tulsa. And she is, uh, she's kind of a mascot. She's an old barrel racing horse. And uh, she's just, she's very lively. She, yeah, she, she, I can she, tell she wants to be part of the conversation yeah. here, too. And you know, well, I think this is the first horse on the podcast in the video. So I'm, I, think I got you're something, right. I think I got something original going on here. Yeah, I, I think so. Yeah. I think if, if she could talk, she would probably have quite a bit to add here. Yeah, she, she would uh, tell you the story <laughs> of how she hated me at first. And now we are best friends. <laughs> That's awesome. I had to, she, we had to grow on each other. I, hi, Tulsa. Hi. <laughs> so you're saying, you know, you were looking for health. It was about health. That yes. led you to farming. And, yes. and right away, the first thing you're talking about to me is raising animals and meat. Yet a lot of people, and especially in this like West Coast, uh -huh. urban, healthy culture, yeah. like we're told well, that's not really healthy. Like meat isn't healthy. All this kind of stuff isn't really what you need to to be your best, but that was where you ended up right away digging into in your search for better health. Yeah, and I think that, and that's another thing a lot of people don't understand is um, a lot, you know, the history, like there are, you know, genetic factors in what your body needs to be its best. It's one of the things I learned in studying health and nutrition science um, in the coursework that I did at some of the universities in Northern California. So I actually went back to school mm. to get science-based understanding of this stuff, not just what you read from popular influencers or doctors that have kind of taken this new, f the, the more of the, you know, the, I don't know how you exactly call it. Cause like I said, there's no one right thing, but there's, there's a certain thing that I guess you want to call it like wellness fads mm -hmm. that are so yeah, overblown, trendy the yeah. trendy stuff that is so overblown that it just, it completely, um, 
it covers up what what the truth is, and mm. it's and the thing is. Food and health aren't as compli- aren't complicated. We've made it complicated. And I actually that's what I actually wrote my book about food on and it's a little book called Love Food Love Yourself and it was what I've learned in the 3 years from going to school, from doing this firsthand. It's it's not about meat isn't bad for you. Bread isn't bad for you. Do you know how awesome gluten is? Oh my <laughs> god. Like carbs aren't bad for you. You can have sugar, you can have caffeine, you can have all these things, but it's about the quantities of them. And then if you've got certain health considerations, whether, you know, like if you have diabetes or you have cancer or you like some extremes. I have an autoimmune disorder called Graves disease, mm. which has some weird funky things that happen with other areas of my body. So there are considerations in that, but that's why you work with a trained licensed medical professional to address how you should eat not just a trendy health influencer Mm. blogger health coach that never went to any sort of (laughs) medically accredited school um to figure that out so what i what i it's like but in terms of like you know i'm egyptian moroccan and danish Really? Yes. And so if you look at the where on my dad's side, he's Egyptian and Moroccan. When I looked at where our ancestors had come from and what their diets were, goat's a major part of that. Like I do fine on meat. I I, I don't, I actually eat meat more than, it's kind of a food group, especially bacon, but um, (laughs) I eat a lot of meat. I eat a lot of vegetables. I eat a lot of yeah. fruit. And then and I do some, you know, bread and stuff. I yep. can't do dairy because I actually am intolerant. But mm-hmm. I think you have to learn what your body needs in order to feed it correctly. And so that's my, my thing on health. And so to say, oh, meat's bad for you. You shouldn't eat it. It's going to make you, you know, it's going to, it contributes to cancer. It contributes to all these things. Um, show me the, show me reputable scientific studies that have been conducted to prove that conclusively. Um, Usually, if you do research on studies, whether they're done by the Beef Council, no disrespect, or if they're done by an animal rights group, you can find the bias in how the study was conducted, who was interviewed, who did it. So in terms of being credible, you've got to be neutral. You have to be unbiased, and you have to really look at something to find a true answer, whether you like the results or not. So what I found is, is like, like I said, we've made food and health so overly complicated because people like me who are great marketers, well, we use that to make you buy crap. <laughs> <laughs> right? So, so when did you, when would you say it was the moment where you first would call yourself a farmer? Um, the day you learn to castrate a goat and it doesn't bother you? Or step one. <laughs> step two is the day when no one really likes when the butcher comes to put down the pigs, and you're like, "I got this. Can I try the gut? Can I do it?" That's that's number two. Yep. And three, when you can plant a quarter acre front at using horse manure and chicken poop and goat poop that you've been composting for a year in a pile because no one was using this and use it as like, you know, and kind of like do your own soil amendments and get enough food to feed five people for a season to grow. I think I did okay. Yeah. Now there yeah. are certain things I killed, but other things I grew really well. <laughs> so, so now, what do you, so now what, I only like to grow certain things that I know I didn't kill the yeah. first two times. <laughs> So what do, what do you grow now, and, and what is your farming current farming situation? Okay, so current farming situation here at the ranch is, so um, again, bringing back soil health. But what we will do next year is, um, so we have fruit 
trees here. Mm -hmm. We have pears, Asian pears. We have three varietals of apples. And sadly, the cherry trees are going to have to come out because they're just mm. beyond coming back. They're like oozing black goop that's probably mm. contaminated with God only knows what. Yeah. So um, we will do fruit. I'm going to bring back the orchard and do fruit trees. Um, going to attempt to plant some figs that seem to do pretty well in Washington because I'm a California girl and I, I really need figs. I, you know, and, and I don't have delusions of pomegranates or avocados given the fact that we don't have those tropical Mediterranean yeah. climates but it would be it's a dream yeah um, so maybe there's a way somehow. maybe but definitely uh, shishito okra long beans peas mm. um, I'm gonna try and do some new stuff too that I don't find as commonly grown up here a lot of the farmers seem to stick to the same type of stuff I think that gets really boring really quickly yep. so um, next year's garden will feature fun stuff and veggies to try and then the trees I think are going to produce very nicely um, just given the amount of rain we had so late and the fact that they probably haven't been tended in about eight years they're not bad it's just they need some help so that is what I'm hoping to do here along with the horses and um, that's kind of it so, so just, what, what do you do with what you produce is it do you eat it all how much of your own food are you able so to eat so actually like well <laughs> so most here's my joke most people hoarded toilet paper and canned goods. Um, <laughs> I kind of hoarded livestock this year. I do work on um, meat production with a dear friend of mine down in Duval mm. uh, named Lulu Redder, and she runs Feral Woman Farms. Mm. So I'm doing pork and chicken. So um, all my friends are going to be the beneficiaries of beautiful amounts of meat in the next three weeks as we mm. are putting them down because it's time to harvest. Mm -hmm. And then um, I'm just, again, it's going to be for friends and family. Um, I am talking to a couple of the local uh, CSAs that have developed in Seattle about doing like a season of production if we have enough um, mm -hmm. just to diversify what they have available to their clients. So yeah. it'll be a hybrid. It'd just be love of food for friends, but you might find it in a certain to be TBD uh, CSA if it comes out well enough for a couple weeks is like kind of an exclusivity thing um, and then that's a trial run to see if that's a viable thing to do because well you'll have to let us know keep oh, us I will. posted so I will. we can share that out on the on the Instagrams and whatnot absolutely and let everybody know where to, to maybe try some of your food if, if they have the chance at some point absolutely yeah there's some really cool local um, like uh, you know a lot of the farms have CSAs but uh, there are two newer ones in the Seattle area that focus on city residents. One's mm. called Local Yokel and the other one's called um, Kin Food. And so I really like what they're doing. So something kind of like, you know, very boutique and yeah. very niche is where I would start because you and I both know how hard it is to produce at any scale, whether it's yep. small, medium, or large. It's just, it's a labor of love. Like yep. I said, right now we're taking horse poo-poo and chicken poo-poo and we're making <laughs> some, some healthier soil because there's, yeah. you know... Like I need a, it's it's a slightly on the acidic side here, but mm. nothing that we can't rebalance. It's not as bad as other other things I've seen. So yeah, what do you what do you see as a key to soil health? What does that look like? What does that mean? God, well, Washington, I'm on a learning curve. Everything's mm. so. Luckily, I always you know I do my samples, I send them in, I kind of look at what's needed. Um, usually, what I'm finding up here is we. It's always about nitrogen. There's always a nitrogen deficiency. There's also this strange phosphorus and zinc deficiency that mm. I found pretty consistently but of course you can that's not hard to kind of cope with but um right. you know it just in general because we're working with mostly clay um mm -hmm. 
in California, we don't have loamy soil. Who does anymore? You got to make that stuff or you put it in raised beds or whatever. Um, <laughs> but California was, I actually found it was harder because you had clay, sand, <laughs> clay and sand. You're like, what do you grow on this? Like yeah. some alfalfa maybe? Yeah. Like it's just, right. So totally. um, so it's that's been my challenge is just kind of like looking at what we have. And then like even with the, that's the, that's the beauty of having horses is that you're like, all right, I can use that. Boop. Got some chickens. Oh, I can use that. And then I'm just going slow. You so know? that's how you correct basically the, the imbalances that you might find in I nitrogen any, or phosphorus. Yeah. Or? Well, no, I just, I, I have a, a, an organic um, a fertilizer that I ha- that I buy online. Um, so no, I'll buy that. I just yeah. use a quality product that isn't, uh, I just use something that's natural to yeah. amend that. So but do you, I'm do doing actually, my best with what we have with, you know, having 15 horses yeah. at this place, we... There's plenty of good poop, got some chickens. And so there are many, like I said, there's many ways to do stuff. I'm just trying to do it with what I have and I'll take the time. Well, and that's what everybody has to do. And that's what you talk yeah. about growing up this farm from small and, and you're adding more. That's how, that's what yeah. so many farm stories are. It's just adding this and then what could we do? And, and just yeah. using what you have available yeah. to then continue to build on that. And one of the things that you're mentioning here is animals. And that's what I've been hearing from a lot of other people as well yeah they're part of this circle of soil health on one side healthy food on the other and animals are in that circle to help bring things that way well absolutely it's um even the you know um the way we do our hawks right um the way like if you i think you that's one of the things you saw like on my instagram i, I was photographing uh lulu's little like the little homestead that's down in duval and um oh and this this is some new level stuff we technically are doing forest rays pasture centered pork <laughs> the newest trendiest thing all you washington livestock producers that put your <laughs> cattle goats or or pigs in tree areas yeah. they're forest rays now that's like a new marketing so thing. why is that supposed to be a good thing <laughs> i mean you're of, a marketer what's the all, i think you know what i i found it very i think it's because again it's just like it's health it's forest health so as mm. the animals are or come you know as you have animals weaving in out of natural environments whether it's a pasture or it's an areas that has a heavy amount of trees what they're doing you know they're 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 turning your topsoil mm-hmm. but they're fertilizing it when yep. they poop it's really really natural it's not real hard and um so what comes back after they eat out like you know all our lovely what do we have blackberries and bumble what is that called bindweed there's so much noxious stuff that they eat out and they take out and what comes back is you know better than what they took out i mean that's just kind of it it's very cyclical we don't have to make it too buzzy um but that's that's exactly what we're doing, and we just they get a large amount of space. They're rotating around, so they don't have a uh, they're not they don't overgraze an area, mm-hmm. and they're they just live very natural, normal, low stress lives before they become part of our own health system. And that's what I'm going to call it. When you look at the whole system, yes, we have like millions of people to feed just mm-hmm. here in Washington. Mm-hmm. Is it possible to feed? That many people that way, or how many people? It, it, well, and I, thought, I guess how sustainable to, is that? Well, and again, like um, I think this is where we have food bias. Um, it's a really hard way of life, and to do it that way comes at a premium price. Mm. You can't make that meat three or four dollars a pound because it is 
first you're looking at you know quantity mm-hmm. you're then looking at quality and then you're looking at a livable wage for the person doing it it's mm-hmm. why it costs more so the answer is probably not because we have so many people to feed and mm-hmm. unless there was a radical shift in the um uh the minds of large producers and government and so many other factors that i am not qualified to talk <laughs> about then the answer is no. Um, yeah. You know, if, if we incentivized smaller ranchers and producers more, maybe. Yeah. If larger food companies that own the larger operations would, you know, forego a little bit of that profit margin so that the we can increase quality of life of animals, living wage of farmers, yeah. then we can make steps towards it. But it's, again, it's there's so much to make that answer a yes. And that, again, it comes down to people and their values yeah. that the answer is no. Well, I think if you it's make great. farmers make more money and, and people don't like that because, oh, there's profit motive and pe- people are just very suspect of that. But knowing farmers and getting to know even more of them through this podcast, I know that the way farmers think is if they have more money, they just plow it all back, no pun intended, right. plow like, it back into the farm. Yeah, yeah. And and that will make better food and healthier operations right. and more sustainable if farmers so, are able to yeah. make some money at what they're doing rather than just barely scraping by, which and is what we're hearing from some people. That's what consumers don't understand is what little margin or negative margin is in this business. Like, mm. that's why I said, like, the, the number one person that's my hero these days is any producer, no matter how they do it, because they work so hard mm. for so little. It's it's really, that's why I say to my friends, I'm like, fine, you want better quality food, you want organic this, pony up part of your budget to pay for it and demand it from bigger companies so that, you know, they c- there's a way for you to have this at a price you're willing to pay, because at the end of the day, it's your demands and then larger, you know, the people that are, you know, related to certain getting that to you, being willing to forego a little margin so that the person doing this for you, growing your food or raising meat can bring this to your plate. Because it's just, you, you're not going to get pasture fed, no, pasture raised, grass fed this for $2 a pound or $3 a right. pound. There's a reason it starts at 10 yeah. Okay. So if you don't like that, then buy a quarter of an animal, buy half an animal, buy the whole hog. Yeah. Like I, oh, I didn't finish my joke. Yeah. I, I hoarded livestock versus like basic stuff. So I have lots of pork. Mm -hmm. These, you know, it's, it's really worth just buying the whole animal and paying a farmer to raise it. That's, that's an alternative to getting that higher quality at a lower cost. And more and more people are doing that. Yes. Yeah. Like, and that's the cool thing I've heard in this Valley is most meat CSAs are sold out through April of next year. And most of the butchers have so much backlog that, you know, it's like months to get your animals slaughtered. More butchers to process this we stuff. Need, we need yes, more farmers to producing this. Yep. And then I think we also need the structures for people to be able to connect with those kinds of yes. things. And I think that, you know, it's really interesting even here in Washington, the amount of like food startups that have seemed to come in. So like I mentioned yep. local yokel, I mentioned um, kin, uh, kin food, but then there's like barn to door, which is like an e-commerce platform for farmers. I think they're pretty solid. Um, I still don't think that, you know, if you want to start your own CSA and make your, your products available direct to customers in the area, you don't have to go overboard. You can start with like a Wix website, a, a Shopify site, a Squarespace site. Yeah. Those all don't cost very much. Um, 
and then you want to make sure that you're searchable and you can be found. And I have lots of free articles on my website, which is maca.la, where I write about here's the here are the e-commerce platforms you can use. Here's how you use Google to to show up in local searches for food. Like you, it's not as hard. You need to put some time into it as most people think, because I'm going to tell you the majority, a lot of the, the most amazing producers I've met in this area, they don't even have a website. Right. Because they, like, <laughs> they, they love producing food. And they're right, specialists in right. soil and animals and yes. plants. Yeah. So, but, you, but if you need revenue, websites. like, you know, like I think the CSA model is going to evolve very rapidly over the next few years. It may, I think people are already growing tired of it because not everybody wants a box of vegetables every week and mm. the same vegetables every week. So, again, something like the local yokel or the kin food, they're working on like diversifying that and not keeping it the same all the time. And, you know, they're even talking to their partners about how they need more diversity because if you want people to keep subscribing and to drive their revenue, and to keep it growing, we, we've got to add food diversity yeah. in the box. So I've seen some really cool stuff happening in the Midwest with their CSAs where mm. they brought in local, like, you know, like pasta makers and they're working with granaries to get like, you know, heirloom beans. And um, even they even do the salad dressing if it's a box of vegetables. Mm. So it's literally kind of like that put the meal together. It's, yeah. and it's a more evolved model of the get the pre-made stuff to your house. Um, and I, I like it. I, I like it a lot. So you know, and you've got the farm fresh to use and all the other kind of bigger ones. But I think that looking for um, locally, like local based groups that can bring food to the table within a certain mile radius is viable. It's always freshest. It's great. So um, if you're not one of the people that likes to deal with the public, check with some of your your neighbors, maybe they are. Maybe you can, again, put that combination together where yeah. you can do meat, eggs, and veg or fruit and it's and it's more of a package and let them run it and you do your 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 brilliance, they do theirs and, mm. you know, it's good to test out new revenue models. I think that's the na- number one thing COVID has led us to, to understand is that yeah. we've got to diversify our revenue streams because nothing is, you know, re- you know <laughs> pandemic proof. <laughs> Yeah. Acts of God, you know. <laughs> First, we had to deal with water problems, soil health problems, wildfires, and now we have to deal with, you know, talk about resilience. Yeah. Like, crazy. <laughs> yeah. So let's go way back. Okay. Where, where did you grow up? So I was born in Iowa, hence, you know, yeah. understand the commercial side of, of beef and pork because we have. We had 1,200 acres of that. And we, so you, you grew up on a farm? I started off on a farm. Um, we had, um, I was born in Iowa. My grandparents, and it's still in our family, but six generations of 1,200 acres, Minnesota, uh, cattle, pork, and then they did obviously soy and corn, and it's still done that way to today. That's just what it's always mm-hmm. been. Mom moved us to the city when we were eight because she just hated the farm life. And yeah. You know, that's that's kind of where I started. It's so like I said, I started off on a farm, and I'm going to end up on a farm. So that family farm was that your mom's side or your dad's? My side? mom's side. Okay. Yeah, and they it's been in the family since the early 1900s. Like wow. they literally settled it and then have brought it through through today. And now everyone's older and retired, so it's rented out to other producers mm. and still maintained. That so way. She, even though she was the farm kid with the, in the yeah. farm family she was the one that was done with it and wanted yeah. to go to the city exactly interesting yeah so and then what did you do you're in the city 
So and you, you, you know, talked I went to earlier school, about you know, all I always, these kinds of things. I already, I always rode horses, um, no matter where I was, and mm. I was a barn kid. You know, my first job when I was thirteen was on Arlington Racetrack, hot walking two-year-old race horses because I was just wow yeah I did that was my first job I'm like I just want to do this I, I had no fear of dying I just you know that was my first job even though you lived in the city even though I lived in the city I would always you know you can I would always I'd take a, a train or a bus at least 45 minutes to get to more country areas where there were horses yeah. and then I went to college and, and so in the city was in LA no 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 I grew up uh, Chicago oh, she Chicago. moved to Chicago yes I was Midwest girl I didn't where get where to did camp. I miss that? I, uh, As a, sorry, now, right. now I'm caught up. Okay, yeah. So Midwest girl. <laughs> okay. Raised so you in, moved to the big city mm-hmm. of Chicago. With my mother that. when we were eight and was there till through through college. And then mm-hmm. when I was just after September 11th, I flew to Los Angeles, um, realized it was 60 in January mm-hmm. and left. I was like, I'm not doing these negative 12 degree winters anymore. Yeah. This is just screw this. And when you're like in, when you're like 20, you know, you're like, oh, this is a great idea. Yeah. You're not afraid of anything yet. What'd you, so what'd you go to college for? <laughs> um, I studied, I started with art and then I majored in literature. Mm. I just, yeah, I've always liked to learn. And then yeah. so everything that I do now is nothing related to what I studied, but I'm yeah. entirely self-taught because <laughs> I love to learn. And so you got, you were still connected with farming as a kid but you mm-hmm. moved to LA mm-hmm. then what were you doing what what did you jump into oh my gosh I worked in fashion I worked in music and okay hold on fashion what what did you do in fashion like, you're just what, gonna what? really pull this out yeah, of me well, what, I don't like to talk about myself so what I... did you do in fashion <laughs> no, I'm fascinated by oh this oh my gosh okay so... you don't normally talk to a farmer who has a background where they did stuff in fashion I know, right? Well, this is this goes that. to the whole part of your life that you like you live it the way people tell you, even yeah. though it really doesn't serve you. I guess yeah. that, so that was part of it. So in fashion, I was in house at a brand to start, and then I started my own fashion blog. This mm. was back in '08 when blogging was becoming trendy. Yep. And within a couple years, I was ranked as one of the top fashion bloggers in the world. I could take pretty pictures of myself and put them on the internet, but I could write about the business side of fashion. Yeah. Um, I did a lot. I've done some collaborations with brands like DKNY, Aldo. I've been to London and seen the Burberry fashion shows. I've been to Marc Jacobs show. I've, I did a lot. Like, and you know, I was yeah. New York to LA, and I thought it was great. Uh, I got really bored with it because I learned something and I evolved very quickly. So after that, I went into doing some entertainment stuff, um, worked on some pretty notable movies. Mm. Um, doing after, what with the movies? I designed games that you played on social media to get excited about going to see the movies at the mm. box office the day they open. Yeah. Because the only opening revenue that apparently matters is opening box office. Yeah. Which I never understood because there's so much money to be made in residuals. But anyway, <laughs> yes, didn't quite make sense to me. So yeah. my job was to make you get excited to go see movies. Big movies. Like so, I did Snow White So that was Huntsman. where it was already like getting into yeah. marketing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, or was, marketing, I guess, in fashion really is. Yeah, well. it was. Yeah. Influencer marketing. Yeah. And then I became the director of digital content at Power 106 in LA. So yeah, I worked, you know, like 4 a.m. studio sessions from everyone from, you know, Mark Wahlberg down to Martin Lawrence to 50, 50 Cent, The Game. Wow. Produced a lot of live concerts with Nicki wow. Minaj and Iggy Azalea. And I burnt out of hip hop in about nine months because <laughs> it, that's a crazy life. Yeah, what, what's it like? What, it, you, 
I think people know Herdy, it's crazy, but what cats. does it actually look like? Try to herd 5,000 goats and get them all to stay in one place at one time. <laughs> I'll relate it back to farming now. Oh, man. Crazy. Uh, it was crazy. And you're always going. You're always going. There's always something to watch. And so um, I worked with so many talented people doing that, and I learned a lot. It was a constant evolution of of things. But then that's when, again, it started to burn me out because I'm like, ah. it was. it's all very surface level. It's like appearance and money and cars and mm. what do you have and what do you do? And it just, I was like, that's where I, like I said, at about 33, I was like, I can't live like this anymore. This is just crazy. There was just, there was no depth. So, um, you know, like I said, when, then I got into corporate marketing, mm. did it very, very well. And I liked it because it was way more streamlined. There was always, yeah. it was about return and goals much more structured, learned a lot about data and analytics in that because it was always like, well, how do we know what you're doing is working? And when you challenge me to that, I'll be like, I'm going to show you. <laughs> so I learned analytics and I learned ad management and I learned very technical sides of, of a lot of things. And so that kind of killed the creative in me. Mm-hmm. And then I learned to kind of re-level and balance them out. Yeah. So and it's like taking all the things that I've learned that I love and I now, again, apply them to what we do in our business, which is great. And um, that's where I came out of. It's like I came out of a lot of big because that's what I was told I should do to be successful and just realized I'm like, this really sucks. So you said at <laughs> one point, this was earlier, you said you stepped away from a big chunk of your business. What Huge was point. what business was that at that time? Was it doing that corporate marketing it stuff? It was corporate, a lot of corporate marketing across a few different in- industries. And th- I'll be honest with you, I gave up a quarter of a million dollars. I know, it's like dream revenue for farmers. I said, I don't want yeah. this anymore. And I talked to the United Staff of wow. Six at the time. Um, they were so burnt out. We were all burnt out and so miserable. I'm like, I'm going to burn this down. They're like, please do. We'll, but we'll go down to part-time. We'll do anything, but we're miserable. And one of like my best person that had worked with me for four years and she was my best friend, she actually quit and stopped returning my calls because it had gotten so crazy with our clients. Wow. She's like, I love you, but I'm going to literally die doing this. So, cause again, it was management of expectations. Like yeah. everybody wants and they need. And yeah. when you're being texted at like 8am on a Sunday to change a website banner mm-hmm. and it doesn't stop you're like this is just insane yeah so that's almost like farming like when the cows mm-hmm. get out at four in the morning i'd rather deal with that <laughs> that's yeah. at least fun yeah, well, well sometimes. A, a headache but you know it's more interesting get a little aggression out it's like yep. get back in there you can't do that to a client so yeah, yeah exactly. we, we burned down 60 percent of our business and basically started over what did that feel like was it scary mm- it was more relief than anything else. I think I slept for about four days straight. <laughs> and, and there was no relationships burned. It wasn't anything bad. It yeah. was just like, you know what? I understand what you need, but I can't provide this any longer. Here's a referral to someone who can. Do yeah. you need me to help you transition to them? Yeah. It was so seamless and beautiful. Like I made sure, and most of them were very appreciative. One person was really angry and they just, they're like, we don't need you. And I'm like, okay, no problem. But we made sure that whatever was needed to let it go was done. And now I have, you know, two of those people still work for me. The other ones have evolved into their own businesses. The other two decided that they just wanted to stay home with their kids and take care of them because that was where they went in life. And we do good work, you know? 
you said, yeah, you were saying things about like our business and that, that's what I was going to ask you. Like who is involved in the business beyond you? Okay, and that's, so I have a wonderful assistant yeah. um, who works for me and I call her Michaela number two because she's got my brain and she's she learns anything <laughs> and everything as I teach it to her. She's awesome. very analytical. Um, she is amazing and just like met her a couple she actually replaced someone that had worked for me for four years um who like then that was my you know kesha who actually is part of another you know who has influence on the new business for grace grit and rich which is the ranch but she's mm. doing more of a kid thing so my new assistant is just amazing mm. and she's learning to kind of become me and i think at some point she'll step into a bigger role i have an amazing um illustrator artist and graphic designer named christina who her family has raised quarter horses for mm. forever I have another writer named Melissa. She's kind of head of editorial. She runs 300 head of cattle out of Kansas. Everybody that works for me works on a ranch. Like that's how how great full circle it's come. <laughs> so awesome. to say it's like, okay, I'm sorry, I'm going to be late on this because the cows did this. I'm like, oh, I still understand you, okay? Yeah. Um, and then the developer I work with, uh, she's in Texas and they have everything. So her kids ride pro rodeo and she has cattle and goats and everything. So, you know, as things evolved, you know, I thought it was, it's, I just found it was very, very interesting alignment that everyone that now works in my company is related to agriculture in some sense. And it's worked out beautifully because we all understand the challenges of the off farm and on farm life. Yeah. You know, <laughs> so, and we have running jokes like, okay, what happened on your ranch this week? <laughs> it's, it's like, well, the, I mean, we lost a bunch of goats because of this thing. Like it's, <laughs> you know, it's real life. So that's, you know, it's your happiness isn't worth money it's just not and i think yeah. that's why a lot of people grow and produce because you know other people are more profitable than others right like there's mm -hmm. it's but it's like if you're happy doing what you do then do it even if it's not as lucrative as it could be if you're if you're fulfilled whatever that means to you not what it means to other people so mm -hmm. you know we do well now it's not as big as it was but we're not and it couldn't can we get bigger yes but we're not driving it that way we're letting it grow very naturally because every client that we have in like the food we have a lot of wellness right now just because of all the the focus on functional food food is medicine that's what's yeah. driving a lot of what we're working with and so we're just making sure that we're not producing like fat or trend stuff based on the new hype but we're really aligning right. to what it really means um so we've got a lot of that happening right now and it just comes very naturally they're all very open and easy to work with and they're collaborative so as new comes in we just we grow those relationships very slowly very uh, thoughtfully and just love the work we do and then it doesn't feel like it doesn't really feel like work even though we're doing work and it also leaves me time for you know the girls and you know feeding that farming side of myself and I'm like I'll never let that go because it's just become like self-care for me or whatever trendy term I can try yeah. and throw in there yeah <laughs> There's so much to this story of yours. It's not very linear. Ways. It's very non-linear. It's very, very loopy, I know. But that's what <laughs> makes it great. Okay. You did mention earlier yeah. that you were about getting to the truth about yes. food and health and all of yes. that. And you've mentioned you know, the myths out there. Yes. So what are the big lies that people are being told right now oh and i wrote about this i saw so i wrote this really cool post that no one liked and that one's got so it got me death threats i'll be really? fair oh yeah because i wrote about six mix miss six misconceptions you have about me why would people give you a death threat about an article like that 
Well, no one liked me writing about butchering or raising animals for food. And a lot of it comes off, I mean, not to bash a platform, but medium is like ripe with mm. very left wing, you know, animal rights activists that those are the people that threaten me, the people that want the animals to live you know, mm. in harmony with people. I'm like, it just sounds so counterintuitive to then threaten people with death. That's, that's what surprised me. Like, like you say I, a death threat, like what do they say? Obviously um, like ho- the I've, clean no, version. It was, but. I've been told I should be slaughtered like my animals. I should be butchered slowly. So I feel what they feel. Uh, the latest one recently was, I hope someone in your, you know, hopefully maybe one day you'll have a relationship that's abusive and they'll whip you like you whip your horses. That's disgusting. Yeah, and those are the, and then and those are the the short versions. Usually they're very long, and they make no sense. It's like all these yeah. ideas and weird things running together. You're just like, you think maybe there's a mental health thing going on there. I I think so. I mean, but it's and usually in the first couple I could handle, so I just stop like uh, actively talking about you know butchering as mm-hmm. much, right? Like I didn't post like us breaking down animals or anything like mm-hmm. that. But and that's why I stuck to the horses and the, the gardening and that seemed to go over a little bit better just because it's not worth it. But that is, you know, so the myth, it's like people ask producers like, oh, God, did you feed that pig or that cow corn and soy? Oh, it's so unhealthy. It could trigger our allergies because people are so allergic to corn and soy. So I dug into I'm like, OK, we know that people can have reactions um, you know, f- whether it's a f- and there's differences between food sensitivities, food allergies and food intolerances. Yeah. Broke that down yep. recently, too. So I looked into corn, both organic GMO and non GMO. And then I looked at soy as it relates to can animals eat it? How does it interact in their diet? And then could it possibly trigger a reaction from someone who is sensitive to corn or soy as a human? Mm-hmm. This was this took a lot of research. It took me like two months to write this. So this. is it possible? Okay, what so did you find? so first, um, well, they can eat animals can eat corn and soy. You don't give raw soy to a pig because digestion issues and a few other things. It's better articulated in my post. Yeah, but yes, they can eat it. And no, it does not cause a, a trigger of the reaction to people that have sensitivities in their diet. That I found one study that possibly alludes to the fact that commercial chicken that had a high corn feed could possibly affect, like, you know, if, if someone that, a human that eats it, if they have corn sensitivities, that chicken that was raised on corn feed might trigger something, but it wasn't even reputable. Like, mm. and I dug deep. It took so long. And then there just so you know- so many of these And things, just so you though. know, I had- um, uh, uh, one of my professors ed- read it to make sure that I had it right because again, mm-hmm. research person. And then I had um, two, like you know, like they, I, you get, you'd call them, you know, regenerative ag beef producers read it too, just because I, this was new territory for me. Right. So it's like that was a major thing. It's like everyone's like, oh, do you feed your animals soy and corn? And and how do I know? And, or um, and like you're like. To hear people at the farmer's market asking about their the diets of the meat that they're buying from the local producer, yet they have no understanding of it. You're just like, could you actually read something that isn't based on a headline on some trendy-ass wellness blog? It's ridiculous. <laughs> um, and so I learned, and that was a big piece of it. Um, and I had to break down organic. I had to break down pasture 
raised, 100% grass-fed versus something that might be grass and grain or grain only. I'm telling you, I love some beef that's had some grain. Do you know how much better it tastes? It's fat better. So I like a combination. I like it to have space, but please feed it some grain. It tastes way better when you cook it. Well, and I think there's a misconception, grass-fed versus grain-finished. Grain finished beef is never raised start to finish on grain. Yeah. Still, like, what, 80, 90% right. of its diet over its life is still grass. Yes. And so it's like all these little nuances are, just, oh, only 100% grass fed and pasture raised is even healthy meat. It's like, no, those aren't even factors to consider. That's someone marketing that to you to make you pay for X. <laughs> um And that was like, I think, number two. But there was a lot of things in there where I'm just, you know, to take the time to take apart a lot of the consumer misconceptions and then to be met with people who threaten you and or tell you that, you know, you're wrong. And I'm like, well, I use science research to write this. This isn't just an opinion. This is the this is the closest to breaking down this as I could find. I may not be right. I'm not saying I am. But when I do the research, I'm like, is this bad for animals? Since yeah. I raise animals, I want to know what they should eat. Like, yeah. especially even my horses. I research everything that's in the grains that I yeah. feed them and the supplements. And I trace them back to who makes them and where the ingredients are. And you know what I end up telling people at the end of the day? I'm like, if your food says... USA on it at the grocery store, just buy it. Because mm. uh, let's not go too much on a tangent about like food standards and safety standards of things made from outside the US. But I'm going to tell you, if I have to eat a conventional avocado from California versus something that's been imported, I'm going to eat my US made food. And not to knock other countries, but again, as you read and learn, you're like, oh, I don't yeah. know about that. Like, yeah. even if you read um, like a book, like, uh, what is it? Um, Miriam Nestle. Like Mm -hmm. her book, like she talks a lot about how she tested food from other countries and things from overseas and what she found and everything else. Yeah, we'd be naive to think that things work the same way across on the other side of the world in a different culture, Mm -hmm. different government, totally different part of the world. Different food standards. So that's why, yeah. yeah, at the end, I'm just like... I like to see people eat real food. It's why I recently wrote about, you know, even the supplement industry. I'm like, we need supplements to a degree. But now that the, that's the latest thing with uh, the supplement companies to sell you more expensive vitamins that don't need to cost that much is they tout soil degradation and quality of product. I'm like, oh, and, and, I, and I'm like, this is, it's just a marketing ploy. Like, number one, don't eat crap. You know, shop the perimeter. It's, it, we, it, yeah. Food isn't as complicated as we've made it. Do you need to take supplements like in Washington? We need vitamin D? Yeah, because we don't have sun eight months a year. But do we have to take this 100 to $150 a month in pills and liquids? <laughs> no. That's unrealistic. Yeah. Put the $100 into f- produce. Eat yeah. a salad. Yeah. Eat some fruit. Poop more, you know. It's, it's just like the horse. You put the put the put the grass hay in. You put a little little put a little psyllium in there, yep. and the poop comes out. And it's called life. Fiber. It's called right. life and right. nature, and that's how it works. And it's healthy, and that's yes. where we should be getting our vitamins right. and minerals from. Is a as well-rounded as, diet as much as you can, yeah. you know. And if you're not, and that was the other thing I said, I'm like, look, have get proper testing to see if you have food allergies or sensitivities or intolerances. But if you're not allergic to milk, to me, milk is better than the highly processed alt milks on 
on the market. If I could do dairy, I would. Mm-hmm. And I just wouldn't do do loads of it, right? Like, and I balance right. out my meat. I do chicken. I do, um, I don't eat a lot of fish because it's just not my thing, but like I do red and white and mm-hmm. I do the best quality I can from what's available to me. And then I just make sure I balance out everything else I need. And I don't take a lot of supplements because I, I don't need them. I, I feel great and I'm active. And pretty much like once I came to that and stopped being so bent on it, Everything leveled out. I do well. Haven't been sick, and that's just kind of it. So, um, like I said, it's it's when you break down a lot of these these hypey things, they don't like it because it's not their truth that they've chosen to believe in. Mm. Like, no, I need all my vitamins and supplements. I'm like, okay, if you want to be a health food junkie, there's a disorder for that. It's, that's actually a disorder now. So, if you want to exercise a lot, great, go for it. But you know, you don't have to overdo it. You know, I used to work out three hours a day. And now I'm like, I clean our barn three times a week and that's enough for me. That's my strength yeah. training. Yeah. Working with a horse, there's my flexibility and mobility because <laughs> she Victoria is teaching me to dance with my babies. I'm not very coordinated. I look like a freak, but I'll get there. <laughs> so, you know, it's it's that's I think that's a lot of what it's about. So dispelling the myths, you just you have people tell you you're wrong or they risk violence on you and for COVID, I broke down crying one day because it was just, it was when the, the horse emails came in because I'm like, I love them so much. I'm like, really? This is what I, because it was the first time I wrote about Katie and like when we got her and like the, she's, she's just a train wreck and getting better by the day, but she's been really badly abused. And to kind of s- just see how deep it goes in her because um, she's really expressive, like I wrote about it and it was hard for me to write because it just, you know, to see the, the you know, and then you, someone tells you that they wish you're hurt the way you hurt the horse. So those were the emails that you got that people yeah. were saying. When like, I talked about, I rescued an you're animal. Talking how you're helping and, an animal, <laughs> right. and they were. I hope you're. So I hope you get into a relationship where you're whipped like you whip her. Whatever the weird thing was, I can't quite articulate it because I've already deleted. You're just like what the. Yeah. That's exactly. that's so yeah it's you know and so I'm just like you know what and you block those you delete them but I'm just like I can't I just I'm gonna ignore it but you're like why would you wish someone harm that's trying to do better by the way that the food that we eat that we need to stay alive is produced yeah like go attack well, and, and it's crazy you're not the first person that I've talked to on this podcast who has gotten death threats simply for talking about food and farming online it's crazy in being factual about it in a sense versus aligning to whatever trend everybody's on and the and by the by they're not even the majority like i looked into i'm like what percentage of the world is vegan what i'm like it's much lower i think the the best most current statistic and it's a few years old that i could find was 16 percent of the global population are vegan and vegetarian I thought it'd be much more, but it's and like global. And it was again, it was a few years old, but I, I'm like, okay, that's not as big as I thought. That tells me people eat meat, people eat dairy. Yeah. So while there's like a loud voice, that's not the majority. So again, I think it's just if you, it's just about doing your own level of investigation and finding what's meaningful to you, but also accepting the fact that what someone else's choices are for food, if they don't align to yours, you cannot attack them for that. In fact, maybe it would be better to have a dialogue with them about why they eat the way they eat, compare what you do, and you might find some new common ground. Because I'll tell you, like, I think it's become like, you know, with all the political stuff that's happened, like, I'm mixed race, I'm a single woman in ag, but you know who's helped me? 
mostly white farmers, and most of them voted for Trump. <laughs> I'm going to be honest about it. Like, I'm, uh. <laughs> and I'm like, but that's because if this wasn't about political views. This was, yeah. you know what? I was willing to work, and they were willing to teach, and I was op- open to changing my mind. So I've never felt discriminated against by someone in a more rural, predominantly white area. They're the ones that taught me. They're the ones that helped me. So that that might not be what somebody wants to hear on your podcast, but it's the truth. And to be honest, if I needed some place to go live tomorrow, those are the people that have open doors ready for me. Mm. Like, (laughs) just to be honest, it's like, oh, you always have a home in Texas. You can come back to California (laughs) out here. You know? Yeah. It's it's awesome. it, you know what they might be more conservative they might be Christian they might have voted for Trump but you know what those are the people that I call family mm. they, they never discriminated against me because of race or anything else like they were happy they wanted to learn because a lot of people don't want to do the work yeah you know and of course like I don't ever want to do it at that scale because again it's a lot of work and I was burning out but at least I learned. Again, yeah. like I said, I fall down a hole and you're like, oh, I don't know how I got here, but this is cool. <laughs> but I have a lot, again, that's why I say I respect anyone yeah. who does anything for food because it is hard-ass life. Where can people follow what you're doing? Well, I have, um, the ranch is going to be at gracegritandwit.com and it's okay. an evolutionary thing that's growing. It's going to be like part coaching business slash um things that we're still developing based on how we do. Mm-hmm. So changes every week. We're almost Just like there. farming. Yeah, exactly. We're getting there. So we've got like horse programs and um, and then with just my marketing work and a lot of the research that I do. So if you want the brainy articles about, well, sorry guys, this isn't true or how to market you, uh, better market your business and tools. I love to write about that stuff. That's the academic in me. So it's M-A-C-A dot L-A. Okay. So um, that's what I do. That's easy so, to remember. Yeah, I know, right? Uh huh. I know it's all trendy. And then the other one is gracegritandwit.com. And then Instagram, I'm Michaela. So M A C A L A. That's how did you get that handle? Remember, I started the internet, homie. (laughs) (laughs) I was like one of the first hundred people on Twitter, which I deleted because I hate Twitter now. Well, thank you so much for sharing all of this backstory, <laughs> which just brings so much more to the already cool stuff that you're doing. Yeah, there's a lot of people like me kind of moving into the space as others move out because we're just, yeah. we're like, we can't live like this anymore. We want to do something different. So my best takeaway is like support local food producers. If you are a cons- uh, like a buy, you know, someone who buys food um, or, you know what, try growing some of it yourself, you know, take, yeah. there's class. So many more and more of the younger producers are offering classes, whether it's butchering or home raising chickens in your backyard or how to grow a small garden. Um, There's a lot you can do. So play with it. But try and understand someone's way of doing something before you judge them and condemn them. Thank you for having me out here to the farm. This well, thank awesome. you for coming. You know, it's awesome. been a while. And Bridget, if you're listening, I love you. You like, inspired me to do this. <laughs> This is the Real Food, Real People podcast. These are the stories of the people who grow your food. Well, I think that's the first time we've ever had a a horse try to uh, make itself known during an interview. That was a lot of fun, though. I really enjoyed the conversation with Michaela and, oh, man, uh, we just got talking even further afterwards about all these things that can be done and connections uh, that can be made. So I think this isn't the last we've heard from her, and there's a lot more good stuff to do. Again, uh, if you want to check her out online, Grace Grit and Wit. 
Grace.com is her website. Grace, grit, and wit, all one word, dot com. Um, as well as, uh, as she said, Michaela, just M-A-C-A dot L-A. Michaela, that's how she spells her name. M-A-C-A dot L-A um, is her you know, kind of more professionally geared uh, website. So you can check that out and connect with her there at Michaela on Instagram if you want to follow her there as well. Follow us, Real Food, Real People, on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at RFRP underscore podcast. And check out our website, realfoodrealpeople.org. And uh, oh, also YouTube. I keep forgetting to mention YouTube. Follow us on YouTube. Subscribe on YouTube so you catch all of our videos and you can see the full video of this conversation there. The Real Food, Real People podcast is sponsored in part by Save Family Farming, giving a voice to Washington's farm families. Find them online at savefamilyfarming.org and by Dairy Farmers of Washington, supporting Washington dairy farmers, connecting consumers to agriculture, and inspiring the desire for local dairy. Find out more at wadairy.org.